be here today. Acts chapter 24 is where we've been studying for the last week and the book of Acts deals with the beginning of the Lord's church. Every church in the world didn't start in Jerusalem. Every church that we know of today did not have its start in Jerusalem around A.D. 33. Some churches started in Rome. Some in other parts of the United States. Some in other foreign lands. But the church that Jesus built. And I don't say that shamefacedly. Some folk, when they talk about the Lord's church, act like they're apologizing to folk. I'm not apologizing to anybody this morning because the Lord saw fit to build a church. What I am scared about is that many who have come after him have developed this attitude that it really doesn't make any difference what church you're in just as long as you headed toward heaven. That's a misnomer. You can't be in any church headed toward heaven. Every church is not headed toward heaven. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 28, upon the truth that Peter had confessed that he indeed was Jesus, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, Peter, Flesh and blood didn't reveal this unto you. But my Father who is in heaven, and I say unto you, upon the truth that you have just confessed, this rock of truth, I'm going to build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That's the only time in scripture we find anybody declaring that they're going to build the church. And I understand it because after we read what Paul said to the, uh, to the elders of the church at Ephesus in Acts chapter 20, what he told them was that Jesus has purchased the church with his own blood. Men don't do that. We think that a, a bank loan builds churches. A bank loan builds buildings where church folk meet. This is not the church. We are the church. And I, I'm still baffled by this world in terms of its religious stance. They maintain that all of us can read the Bible and we can come out with our different attitudes and everybody's good as long as their heart is in the right place. Many times they pat down here. This heart down here is a blood pump. It doesn't do any more than that. And when it starts pumping, you through. When the Bible talks about the heart, it's talking about this one. What the, the center of our reasoning. This is where we make decisions. This heart feels the decisions that you make up here. But no decision is made by this heart. Thank God he made a body for us that is so unique. You know when you get mad and you about ready to fight 
your mind sends the message to your heart to start pumping blood faster because you're getting into flight mode. <laughs> you don't even have to ask your heart to pump faster. It does it automatically. That's the way God made us. And then when you settle down, it settles down. And then there are times when you look across the room and see somebody who catches your eye and your heart starts palpitating. That's this heart working on this heart, not the reverse. And the same thing is true when it comes to religious things. You, it, how is it that we can all read the same driver's manual and come out with the same information but we can't read the Bible and come out with the same information. That baffles me. Everybody who drives knows that red means stop and yellow means caution and green means go. And everybody understands when they have finished that manual, there is no statement at the end of it saying, if you take issue with these rules, please contact us. They don't care nothing about what you think. If you're going to drive in Alabama, you got to follow these rules. And if we catch you breaking them, you got a ticket coming. Well, why is it so difficult for us to sit down and read the word of God together? And then you come up with an attitude, and I come up with an attitude. I come up with a way of doing it. So we have left this and gotten in our own heads. And you know, I've learned that sometimes getting in my own head is the worst place in the world to be. Some of us need to get out of our own heads because we stand in our own way and we bring havoc on ourselves. And I didn't come to talk to you about that today. I came to say something entirely different, but that's a part of what I needed to say so that you can understand the rest of the lesson. I really came to talk to you today about Felix. Felix was the governor in Acts chapter 24 to whom Paul gave a defense. And the folk had lied on Paul because they didn't like the truth that he was telling. And you know, when you tell the truth, sometimes you take your life in your hand. It depends on who's hearing the truth that you're telling and whether or not it convicts them. The Bible tells us in the 24th chapter of Acts and verses 24 and 25, our text this morning, that after some days when Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, see, he had told them, look, put Paul in jail. We're not going to try him until his accusers are here. But while he's here, let his friends and those who are with him come to him. Let them minister to him. Let them give him whatever he desires. And then the Bible says after a few days, Felix and his wife Drusilla, who was Jewish, sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. And he talked to him about three things. The Bible says in verse 25, now as he reasoned about righteousness. Look, righteousness is not something you catch. It's something you do. 
And it's something that we can reason about, not feel. See, feelings are deceiving. They're deceptive. You can feel up this minute and down the next minute. Some folk like some folk today, despise them tomorrow. I want you to understand that feelings are not what religion is based on. It's based on our ability to sit down and read God's word and reason together based on what's there. So when Paul reasoned with Felix and his wife Drusilla about righteousness and self-control and the judgment to come, the Bible says Felix was afraid and he trembled. He said to Paul, go away for now. When I have a convenient time, I'll call for you. Inconvenience. Inconvenience. Tomorrow. That's what I want to talk with you about tomorrow. See, Felix was shaken, but he wasn't saved. So you can be convicted, cut to your heart, but unsaved. You can even shed bitter tears. You can be cut to your heart and convicted, but if all that does is make you tremble, there is no salvation in trembling alone. There is no salvation in being convicted alone. Something else must happen in order for salvation to take place. So I really want to talk with you today about the danger of tomorrow. But under the general topic of shaken but not saved. Mm. Over 20 years ago, the Winans brothers. You familiar with the Winans? BB and CC and the whole family. Well, over some 20 years ago, those brothers sang a song called Tomorrow. I don't know if any of you have ever heard it, but you may want to go out on YouTube and listen to it. A beautiful, beautiful song. But I want to share with you the words this morning as we talk about the danger of tomorrow. These are those words. Jesus said, here I, I stand. Won't you please let me in? And you said, I will. Tomorrow. <laughs> Jesus said, I am he who supplies all your needs. And you said, I know. But tomorrow. The course goes like this. Tomorrow, I'll give my life tomorrow. I thought about today, but it's so much easier to say tomorrow. Who promised you tomorrow? Better choose the Lord today, for tomorrow may well be today. 
And then verse 2. Jesus said, here I stand. Won't you please take my hand? And you said, I will. Tomorrow. Jesus said, I am he who supplies all your needs. And you said, I know, but tomorrow. And who said that tomorrow would ever come for you? Still, you laugh and play and continue on to say tomorrow. Forget about tomorrow. Won't you give your life today? Tomorrow I'll give my life, tomorrow they say. I thought about today, but it's so much easier to say tomorrow. Well, who promised you tomorrow? Better choose the Lord today. For tomorrow very well might be too late. Your tomorrow may be today. I want you to bear with me just a moment. I want to share some things with you about tomorrow, see, because I have to go out and read about stuff that I'm going to talk about. And I ran across this. How many times have you said to yourself, I didn't get it done today. I'll do it tomorrow. I would dare wager that most of us, if not all of us, have said that at one time or another regarding something. I find myself doing it. But why is it such a big deal? Here's why. Because when we put off what we could do today, in essence, what we're doing is making excuses, number one. We're creating stress, number two. And we're living a life less than we're capable of and designed to live. That's the danger of tomorrow. Probably one of the most dangerous words in the English language is tomorrow. The past is gone, folk, and nothing we think or do or say can bring it back. All you and I can do is realize that the life we have today is a result of decisions we made yesterday. More importantly, you need to know that your past doesn't have anything to do with your future. If you don't like your current circumstances and want to make tomorrow better, all you have to do is make different choices today. If you're concerned about tomorrow, make different choices today. If you really want to make something happen in your life where tomorrow is concerned, all you have to do is make different choices today. So putting anything off until tomorrow is a bad habit that you and I and all of us need to avoid at all costs. Graveyards are filled with unrealized dreams because of this, tomorrow. 
Understand from the very fiber of your being that today is all you have. This is it right now. You can't count on Monday through Friday. Today, right now, is all you have. Know that every action you take is either moving you toward the life you're meant to live or away from it. There is no such thing as coasting or treading water. You're always in motion. Either you're running your life or you're allowing your circumstances to run it for you. The chances are that those who take charge of their lives don't end up worrying about tomorrow because the dangers of today far outweigh the fears of tomorrow. Listen, listen. Tomorrow is a mystical land where 99% of human productivity, motivation, and achievement is stored. I gotta say that again, somebody missed that. <laughs> somebody missed that. Tomorrow is a mystical, a mystical place. It's a land where 99% of all human productivity, motivation, and achievement is stored. That's because so many folk depend on tomorrow. And it never gets done. Felix depended on tomorrow. He says, all right, Paul, you, you, you convicted me. You cut me to the heart. You got me to the place where I'm trembling. You ever read the scriptures? and came up out of your study trembling. You ought to try reading Matthew 25, where the Bible talks about the Lord separating us, the sheep on the right and the goats on the left. That's all of us. You may not be able to see you in that scenario, but somewhere in that crowd, you're there. And as we come before the Lord, he says he's going to judge us according to what we've done in this life. He's going to turn to those on his right and say, blessed are you. For when you saw me hungry, you fed me. When you saw me thirsty, you gave me to drink. When you saw me naked, you clothed me. When I was in prison, you visited me. And they shall say, Lord, when did we see you like this? And he says, as often as you saw one of your brothers, your little ones, my little ones like that and didn't respond or did respond, you were doing it for me. And then he says, I'm going to turn to those on my left. These are the goats. You know, somebody said, if you go toward a sheep with a pair of shears, that sheep won't say a word. Sheep are among the few animals in the world that are without any kind of defense. They just dinner. They exist to provide dinner for their predators. And that's why the scripture says you have to be careful of wolves in sheep's clothing. See, because they want to get next to you. <laughs> because they know the sheep won't say anything. 
You can cut off all his hair. He's just standing there. There's a pitiful. That's why Isaiah says Jesus would be led as a sheep to the slaughter. Even while they were crucifying him, he couldn't say anything but, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. When they were trying him and marching him from one place to another, he was like a sheep. Before his sharers, he was dumb. But you come toward a goat like that. And you may get butted or kicked. That's the difference between sheep and goat. And the Lord shall say to those who are on that left hand, depart from me. Because you saw me in these various situations and you didn't respond. And he says, those on the left will say to him, Lord, you got to be mistaken. See, these are those people who are in those churches that the Lord doesn't know anything about. Some are going to say, what do you mean you don't know me, Jesus? I cast out demons in your name. You may have cast out some, but they weren't in my name. Because he says, I don't even know you. As a matter of fact, I have never known you. Folks, that's, that implicates somebody. And all the worship I've been putting in and all the time I've spent, the Lord is saying, not only do I not know you now at the judgment, I have never known you. So what does that suggest? That you have never been where you should have been. In the Lord's church. And it wears his name. Listen. All of us. Have had to. Deal with. The temptation. Of tomorrow. And that's because we live in a society that. Thrives on convenience. We don't like to do anything that's not convenient. It has to be done on our terms when we get ready. And some of you are saying that same thing to the Lord. Lord, I'd come to church more often if it was 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Because by that time, I slept all I want to sleep. And I'd be willing to come at 2. But 9? Oh, Lord, that's asking too much. See, that's not convenient for folks. And then there are those who say, it's convenient for me to come once on Sunday, but twice, that's out of the question. And then there are others who say, it's convenient for me to deal with those I like, but to ask me to deal with folk who get on my last nerve is asking too much. That's inconvenient for me. In essence, that's what Felix was saying to Paul. I understand what you're saying, Paul, but today is not the day. I want you to come back at a more convenient season for me. Now, why he said that, we don't know. Some conjecture that it may have been because he had his young tenderoni with him. <laughs> Drusilla was her name. See, Drusilla was like 19. And the Bible says he and his wife, Drusilla. Now, if you imagine this, he's the governor. And he's standing there, and Paul is laying the word on him. And then it convicts him. And right there before his wife, he starts to tremble. You don't see governors tremble too much. They in authority. They make other folk tremble. 
But she was sitting there looking at him being convicted by the word and he starts trembling. That'll make some men shame in front of their women. You know how that is. They said, don't let them see you sweat. Don't ever let her see you sweat. Make sure you have everything in order. Well, this is a point at which Felix lost control of himself because the word was so powerfully speaking to him. So he says to Paul, rather than give up in front of my wife, we'll come back to hear you at another time. That may be part of the reason. But we know that from verse number 26, that he wanted some money from Paul. The love of money is the root of all evil. The scriptures tell us in 2 Corinthians 6, 2, the scripture says, I have heard thee in a time accepted. This is the Lord speaking to us. And in the day of salvation have I succored thee. I have protected you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. When? Right now. Because this is all the time we have. I know you don't want to believe that because you think the fact that you have stuff planned Tuesday, that God is going to allow you to see Tuesday. But folk, a lot of folk who had things planned for tonight won't see them. It's just been a week since Kobe and his family and the others were headed to a game that he was supposed to coach. And this time last week, the Lord called him home. You can't bank on tomorrow. You just can't. I don't care how good you've been. Kobe must have been feeling good too. He was trying to make the trip. But the Lord decided, you've coached your last game already. And he may have decided about us. You've coached your last game already. You've worked your last shift. You've attended your last Bible study. You've attended your last worship. You've done good here for the last time. Because somewhere down the line, folks, it will be our last time. So many of us, even as we sit here today, are victims of tomorrow. They're the ones who are always saying, tomorrow, I'll pray. Tomorrow, I'll fast. Tomorrow, I'll find a talent to devote to God. Tomorrow, I'll allow God to use my life in the way that he wants. I want to do it, and I'm going to do it. Tomorrow. Tomorrow, when I'm older and more mature, I'll find time for God. Oh, some of you sitting there right now saying, ooh, I hear that, but I'm going to take care of it tomorrow. Tomorrow. I'm waiting on my Social Security check. I want to get that in the bank. And then I can forget about some of that other stuff I've been worrying about and I can give the Lord what he's due. Some believe that they're going to make a change when they have a new set of circumstances. Are you waiting on your circumstances to change before you decide to be faithful? 
You're waiting on your child who's a toddler now to grow up and go off to school. I've heard people say that. Well, you know, I'm, I'm raising my baby now. When I, put the ch when I put him or her in first grade and they're at school, then I'll have time to serve the Lord. That's tomorrow. That's tomorrow. I, I want you to understand, folks, that some of the saddest things that we read about in the scriptures have to do with people putting stuff off until tomorrow. Let me remind you of this. You remember the five foolish virgins in Matthew 25, 1 through 13? They knew the bridegroom was coming, but they didn't know when he was coming. So they brought their lamps, but they didn't bring any oil for their lamps. They came wanting oil from somebody else. And those who had oil said, no, we're not giving you any of ours. You have to bring your own oil. So they were depending on tomorrow. The guests who refused the feast because of worldly commitments in Luke 14, 23 and following. These were people who were banking on tomorrow. Among the saddest statements made after hearing the gospel message are these. You remember King Agrippa in Acts 26, 28? When after Paul had preached the word to him, he said, almost. That has to be one of the other saddest words in the world. Almost. You don't get the, the, the veracity of almost until you get to the bank at 301. I mean, and you need to go inside. You don't get the full veracity of almost until you get somewhere 30 seconds too late. He said, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Almost won't get it. He waiting for what? Tomorrow. Tomorrow. Listen to this one. Felix. Acts 24. Go thy way for right now. <laughs> When I have a convenient season, I'm going to call on you again. Lord, have mercy. The only thing Felix did was tremble. And he died at the peril of his own inconvenience. Let me remind you, folks, nothing good happens tomorrow. Have you ever been on fire to do something for God? But you're going to wait until tomorrow till you get your clothes out to clean. So when you come in here, you can be dapper as you walk down the aisle to give your heart to Jesus. Jesus don't care how you walk down the aisle. It's just that you walk down the aisle. Not tomorrow, but today. Now, I know some of you sat here and listened to this lesson already this morning, and I got plenty more to say, but I'm going to stop right here because I got some sense. Actually, I want you to remember what I've said already. Nothing good happens tomorrow. And you being mighty presumptuous to think that you have that kind of control over your life. That you decide based on how you exercise today and how you eat today. And some folks say, I'm gonna go home. I ain't going out where no dangerous places are. Danger knows your address. 
You don't have to go out there to it. It finds you. People who aren't shooting people, they don't even know. Nothing good happens tomorrow. It all happens right now. I'm going to give you the opportunity to do what you know you need to do. That you've been putting off how long? Waiting for tomorrow. Every tomorrow becomes today. You've heard this word. I'd ask that you believe it and repent. Confess. Give God your best today. Because tomorrow is truly not promised. And if you're not a member of the body of Christ, you need to start a class about how you get into the body of Christ so that your running will not be in vain. Let me give you just one final thought. Because I think when you help people to see things that they are familiar with, it's easier for them to see things they may have difficulty accepting. And I know when people hear that the Lord built one church and that's what he's coming back to get, a lot of folk get in their feelings about that. They feel some kind of way about that. You know what I'm saying? I can understand that. I can understand that. But there are a lot of things I feel some kind of way about, but I can't do nothing about them. Mm-hmm. Can't do a thing about it. Got to learn to live with it. Look, folks. If a guy goes out there in the middle of this street this afternoon after church and runs 100 meters in nine seconds flat, he has just broken all kinds of records. As a matter of fact, he'd be the only one in the world to do that, to have done that. But do you know that that doesn't count for Jack? Because he was not in a meet. Mm -hmm. If you're not in a track meet, well, folk are there to see that happen and they're timing you and it doesn't count. Can you understand that? That's something you did in vain. If you bowl, you can go to the, right down to the bowling alley this afternoon and, 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 and bowl a 300. A perfect game. But if you're not in a sanctioned bowling tournament, that means nothing. Nothing. Well, what am I saying that for, brother? Because if you do all the good work in the world in the wrong place, it doesn't count. Doesn't count. If I pay you to cut my lawn and you cut mistakenly the person who's lo who lives next door to me, do I owe you? No matter how good your intentions were, no matter how pretty the landscaping looks, you're going to have to get paid from the yards you cut. Why is it difficult for us to understand that when it comes to religious things? You can be doing a lot of good work in the wrong vineyard. The scriptures say, every plant that my heavenly father hath not planted shall be rooted up. That's talking about churches. 
They ain't planting all these. How can he plant all these churches and folk believe in the opposite of each other? God is not a God of division. He's a God of unity. So we all are supposed to believe the same thing. There was one ark. If you didn't like the way it was built, don't get on. Hello? I'm going to give you this opportunity to respond. 